Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former number one ranked jockey, Billy knows what it takes to succeed. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees understand the keys to financial freedom. Saddle up and get ready for a ride you won't soon forget on how you can harness your wealth. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth. I'm Billy Peterson, your host, and I'm excited today to introduce our guest, Jeff Tebow. Jeff, welcome aboard. Thank you. Glad to have you. We also have our sidekick, Cade, along for the ride today. I wanted to give a bit of a background on Jeff. Jeff has a lot of distinguished characteristics here in his background, his education. He is married, obviously, to his better half, Vicky, a great lady, and we think the world of her. Education-wise, Jeff has an MBA from was it Oklahoma City University, right, Jeff? Yes, sir. And then you earned your BBA in finance, University of Central Oklahoma. And then you have an Associate of Applied Science in Business and Accounting from Connor State College in Warner, Oklahoma. Now, you currently hold the position of Chief Financial Officer, General Manager at the Heritage Place. Is that right? Yeah, the, uh, I guess my official title is the Chief Executive Officer. Yes, sir. And you're also Managing Director of, is it Markell Horse Insurance? No, it's Andrini. Andrini, right. Insurance broker, and, and we, we sell the Markell product along with others. Managing Director of Andrini and Company, Equine Horse Insurance, primarily. And we'll give you a bit of a chance to elaborate a bit more. But you have a quite a bit of, obviously, education, background, in finance. thought you'd be a great guest today to talk about what's going on in the world of horses, equine insurance, and expand maybe a bit into just the general landscape of things going on in the country and the world and how things have changed over time. You're also obviously a lifetime member of American Quarter Horse Association, and you've been a past president of the Oklahoma Quarter Horse Racing Association. And or did I misspeak there? You're you're a lifetime member. And yeah, you I, yeah, I'm a lifetime member of both the Oklahoma Quarter Horse Association, Oklahoma Quarter Horse Racing Association, and the American Quarter Horse Association, uh, and currently serve on the executive committee for the American Quarter Horse Association. It's a five year commitment, so I'm in my third year. Just started my third year. And uh, I hold the title as uh, second vice president of the American Quarter Horse Association right now. That's impressive. For our listeners who don't know much about the American Quarter Horse Association, a very large organization of equine enthusiasts who appreciate the quarter horse and for all the versatility that the quarter horse offers to all sorts of different disciplines but jeff is soon to be the president been serving on that executive committee so you've you've had a lot of accolades uh, in your career jeff give us a bit more background and how you got into this industry and and also the equine industry and all the different hats that you've worn well thank you uh, it's certainly an honor and a, a privilege to be on your show today um, and for the relationship and our friendship that we've had for many years now. 
a little background. I grew up um, in just a suburb, a suburb of Oklahoma City on the north side of Oklahoma City. It was a little community. It's still there, obviously, called Edmond, Oklahoma. And kind of a funny story, when my parents got married in the early 60s, they moved, and it's about 15 miles north of Oklahoma City. And my grandfather on my father's side uh, said that he didn't believe anyone would ever want to live that far outside of Oklahoma City. And I grew up and we had a couple of acres that we grew up on and kind of grew up in a bedroom community of Oklahoma City. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful place to, to grow up. I didn't really grow up in the horse business. It's a, a quick story of how I got involved. My granddad was a cowboy and rope cutting horses. But by the time I was coming around, we had a little pony named Susie that eight grandchildren all shared. But it was what I, I grew up and my father was an accountant and very conservative by nature, I think, as most accountants are. And, you know, we didn't get allowances and, and um, you know, he, he wasn't handing out money for us to just go do what we wanted to do. And a, a quick funny story, I think I was 12 years old, uh, getting ready to turn 13 that summer. And I just had the idea with a couple of my neighbors that we were going to uh, figure out how to make some money. And I thought if we went and mowed some lawns across the street and what I thought of as the rich neighborhood that we could figure out how to make some money. So you can imagine three young boys uh, pushing lawnmowers back in those days. We didn't even have gas weed eaters, so I'm, I'm dating myself. But <laughs> I started knocking on doors and finally got a gentleman to uh, agree to allow us to mow his lawn. And so I uh, went and told my buddies, I said, this guy wants us to mow his lawn. And he, they said, well, how much money are we making? And I hadn't really gotten that far through the business plan yet. And I told this gentleman, just pay us whatever he thought it was worth. So we started mowing what I thought was this huge lawn. And after about 20 minutes and equipment was breaking, my two friends, Chris and Donnie, decided that we were were now out of the lawn care business and they said they were leaving and I did just what I was not supposed to do and we left. <laughs> so you can imagine three young boys, a lawn half mowed, we left and for some reason when my father came home that night, he saw that the lawn mower had been moved and started what I call interrogating me, but I'm sure he read me for filth and figured out real quickly that... Um, I hadn't finished the job that I had started. So he changed clothes and marched me back down the street. And we knocked back on this gentleman's door. And my father informed him that we were there to finish a job. And this guy said, oh, it's all right. I'll get someone else to do it. And my father said, no, we're going to finish this job. So we finished the job. And the gentleman came out and tried to pay me. And my dad said, we're not, no, you're not paying him. This is kind of a life lesson. And so the gentleman looked at me and said, young man, you, you need to start, when you start a job, you need to finish it. And, and I appreciate you showing back up. Do you want a job? And I said, well, yes, sir. He said, well, I own a boarding stables down the road about four miles. And if you're interested, I'll give you a job. And my dad said, he'll be there tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. And that's <laughs> how I got into the horse business many years ago. And I'll never forget, I would clean stalls and feed these horses and it was a barn where there was a trainer that um, was training youth kids and amateurs and and I got bit by the horse bug at 12 or 13 years old and I didn't really know what it meant but I knew that I wanted to spend a life in the 
figure out how to get involved in the horse business. And luckily I had parents that allowed me to kind of pursue a dream and one thing led into another and, and I, I've never looked back. That's a great background story. I, I love those stories of the parents who hold their, their kids accountable and boy, I don't know about you, but I think we could use a lot more of that in today's generation, Jeff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's a great story. What do you think was the key for you being able to, you know, rise up? How did you, how did you get into the horse insurance industry? Well, you know, as I look back over my life and, and, and some of the, the few things that I've done right, uh, I've done many things wrong, but um, I think it's a matter of getting involved. Uh, for me, was um, I got involved, you know, as 12 or 13 years old and got my first horse. And I became involved with the Oklahoma Quarter Horse Youth Association. And with that, I uh, somehow got elected. And several years later, I was the president of that little youth association and met lifelong friends. And I think it's just important in life that you get involved, uh, whether it's with your church, with your school, whether it's with a, an association of some kind. So I would have to tell you it was it was getting involved, taking the risk of, uh, you know, uh, spending some time. And it's those people and those contacts that I met as, as, as a young kid, actually, are still some of my best friends today. We're still all involved in the horse business. And this crazy horse has taken me literally all over the world. So I would tell people, you know, find something that's a passion and get involved in it. Um, I never got involved in the horse business with the idea of really the monetary side of it, of thinking I could make money. I just went and chased a dream and that dream became an opportunity and the opportunity was the horse business. So as you fast forward and go through all these things, um, it was my involvement both with the local state and with the American Quarter Horse Association. And I was serving on committees there. Uh, I had uh, gotten um, the opportunity to get involved with Heritage Place, where the largest quarter horse auction facility in, in the world, actually. Um, and it was through those relationships um, that I met there that I had the opportunity to meet John Andrini, Mr. Andrini hung a shingle in 1951. We're one of the top 50 insurance brokers nationwide. And uh, Mr. Andrini came to me at, at one point and asked me if I would be interested in getting involved in the insurance business. And uh, my wife had decided to quit training horses full time. And so she and I went and met, went to California to uh, uh, south of San Francisco, San Mateo, where our headquarters and uh, I guess Mr. Andrini saw something in us and gave us the opportunity of a lifetime. And that's been 12 or 13 years ago to get involved in the insurance business. Uh, we're the largest provider of equine mortality insurance in the quarter horse business today. But I also um, had the ability to chase all kinds of different insurance uh, things. I insure large manufacturing companies, trucking companies, feed yards, mm. small businesses of all different kinds. We do both property and casualty, employee benefits, bonds, aviation. So Mr. Andrini had built just a wonderful, wonderful brokerage. Um, and he's got some very, very talented people that allow someone like me um, with a business background 
Um, I, I, I learned something about the insurance business every day, but um, a strong support system that allowed me to take these uh, relationships that I'd cultivated over a lifetime and turn those into clients of ours. So that's a little bit about how I got involved in the insurance business. It's a great story. I, I also had the opportunity to go out and, and see John's, Mr. Andarini's ranch. He invited me to stay out there for a weekend. This is many years ago. And this is actually not long after I retired from riding. And so I knew him, you know, briefly from my career as a jockey, but he kind of took an interest in me and what I was doing with the, the business in the business of finance and investment management that I was getting underway with. So I stayed at his ranch and what a beautiful place. It was a good night. We had a good, great conversation. Yeah, he was a he was just a phenomenal person, a first class individual, and uh, I will forever be indebted to him and Miss Linda for the opportunity they've given Dickie and I. And uh, so, you know, I, I have the best of, of everything. It's just at times I have to pinch myself. We get to stay involved in the horse business several ways uh, through Heritage Place. Uh, Spence Kidney, our general manager that runs the day-to-day operations, he and I get to co-manage that business and uh, been involved in the insurance business and then serving the American Quarter Horse Association on the executive committee. It's just truly, truly, we are blessed beyond measure. What what trends are you seeing right now in both horse mortality and then just the horse industry? Well, the horse industry, I don't think it's ever been any stronger than it is right now. You know, I think there were years ago, you know, and when I speak about the horse industry, it's pretty specific to the American Quarter Horse Association. But uh, the number of uh, foals we're registering each year continue to rise uh, since 07, 08, when it, it was in a pretty tough spot. Um, the value that these horses are bringing have never been higher. It's just unbelievable what, what the value of these horses are bringing. You know, the, the horse mortality business, the insurance business, it's a pretty hard market right now. These carriers are, are really struggling to make a profit. Um, and so uh, we're seeing rates rising. Um, you know, I think it's an area where the carriers have to make a profit they're not trying to make huge profits but they have to make a profit so they can continue to offer this product Um, but the insurance business is good right now a a lot of people i think primarily because of the value of these horses what they're bringing these days uh, most people are insuring these horses so the insurance business is good the market's hard rates are rising a little bit but the but the horse business overall i don't know that it's ever been any stronger than it is right now Jeff, what are you noticing with the regional interest of horse racing and the demographics? Well, the regional horse racing, I think, is strong. We're seeing some shifts. You know, I don't have to tell you all, uh, Billy, the many, many years that you rode at Los Alamitas, we're not seeing that meat as strong as it once was. We're thankful for Doc that he continues to invest in that meat. There's opportunities. We're seeing new racing opportunities, for example, in Kentucky, where they're getting ready to build a new track there. There's legislation they're trying to get passed in Nebraska and Kansas. So there's some areas around the country that are uh, kind of a bright spot that might take up for some of the areas where we're seeing 
um, uh, less horse racing opportunities. Um, you know, um, we have a very diverse group of people that are participating in our industry right now. The Hispanics um, are, are very, very heavily involved. Um, you know, they are some of the greatest horsemen that I've ever had an opportunity to meet. And it's still very, very much a part of their family culture. Uh, mm -hmm. When you look at them, the grandparents, the parents and the kids, we're seeing a lot of the Hispanics uh, getting even more involved in our business. Um, and uh, we're thankful for that. Excuse me, we're almost in the home stretch for the episode. But before we cross the finish line, I just want you to know that you can contact Billy and his team at www.petersonws.com or by visiting the show notes. Now, back to harnessing your wealth. Right. Yeah, that's the trend going on, I think, across the country. Um, they uh, they do. I mean, traditionally been more of the match race environment, but they are actually migrating into the recognized meets as well. And a lot of folks are around our area are coming out supporting the racing industry. So look, we're looking to see that same change here. With the regards to just business and being successful in business for the benefit of the listener, Jeff, what are some of the keys characteristics? I know we've gone through this pandemic, which honestly changed all changed the world in a lot of ways from attitudes and perceptions, people just kind of having this maybe belief that working from home is an option. What do you think going forward, <clears throat> people in the workforce are going to need to, consider if they want to be successful and rise to the top of some of these organizations and have an opportunity to grow or to rise up and become maybe an executive at a company? Well, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm still trying to figure out what happened to us over the last two or three years. It has certainly broke some paradigms. Um, there are some industries that working from home um, certainly is a, a positive, I guess you would say. I miss the opportunity of collaborating with a lot of the employees. We still have a lot of employees that are working from home. Um, you know, I don't know, but maybe I'm becoming somewhat of an old timer, but uh, I like coming to my office every day. Uh, I like to be able to differentiate between my home life and and, and coming to work, if I'm at home, I'm probably going to be out in the barn. So I don't know that I'd be very effective if I was at home. But I get an opportunity, Billy, to speak to college kids every year. I've got, whether it's through Texas A&M or Colorado State University or some. And I think the American dream may be alive and well for the young people, maybe more so than ever. And what I mean by that is when I was growing up, and I think you might agree with this, everyone worked. Everyone was willing to go work. You worked long hours, especially, you know, when I grew up in the horse business, you were willing to go to work just to learn. It wasn't about making money. And so I tell the young people today, if you're willing to get up and go to work and work hard, not just eight to five, but put in the extra hours, I think that's somewhat becoming more of an anomaly than, than the standard. So um, you know, I just think it goes back to just being willing to work hard. I, I know I'm not the smartest guy, but I've always felt like that I could outwork the majority of them. 
And uh, that's, that's served me well through the years of just going the extra mile, um, showing up early, staying late, being willing to work on the weekends or whatever it takes, because most employers are looking for that person that's willing to go above and beyond. And if you can become one of those people, you don't have to be the smartest person, but if you are willing to work hard, I think people will gravitate. And, and I think that's what every employer out there is looking for is that person that's just willing to be just a little bit different, work a little bit harder. And um, I think that's been something that's allowed me to have some of the success that I've had. Yeah, that's great. We have a financial boot camp. So these are some of the themes that we try to relay to the students who attend. 600 to 700 students locally come up to the university and we put on a full day of financial literacy education for them. And one of the segments is an hour long where we have panelists. So folks similar to yourself who have found success in whatever career path they've chosen. And we ask them questions like that. What made the difference? Why are you, why were you able to become successful? What were the differentiating factors and if you maybe could go back and do it again, would you do anything different? So I'll ask you that question. Is, do, you, do you have anything that you would you wish you could go back and do over again? Oh, I don't know that I would. I, you know, I was a handful being raised. I'm sure my poor parents, I, I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't the easiest one to raise. I was a little bronchy at times, but um no, I don't know that I would. I'd be afraid I'd make the wrong turn if I had to go through it again and, and just feel so incredibly blessed to be where we're at today. My wife and I, and we have two wonderful kids. We have a, a daughter that's in her third year of med school at the University of Oklahoma, and uh, our other daughter is a senior in the business college at Baylor University in Waco. So when we really stand back and look at what we were have been able to accomplish today, um, you know, uh, I don't know that going back that I would do things really differently. I just think it's so important. I was blessed that I was raised the way I was with my parents. You know, the example I gave earlier, of finishing a job that you start, getting something back in better condition than when you borrowed it. I mean, it just goes on and on. You know, we were raised in a great, wonderful Christian uh, home. And so for that, I'm grateful. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough. I wasn't a good student, but I was able to get an associate's degree, and then I was, I kept pushing myself, and I thought, well, I really need to get a four-year degree, and then later, and uh, several years later, I went back and got a master's degree. So, you know, I think education is so important, whether it's through the traditional learning institutes or if you go to trade schools or whatever. I don't. I just think you have to keep challenging and pushing yourself. I read. I read as much as I can. I read a lot of books that talk about figuring out how to differentiate yourself, how to, you know, um, uh, look for opportunities, take advantage of opportunities that that uh, are given to you. And I think that's what's important. So I, I don't think I'd want to go back. Uh, but uh, <laughs> That's yeah. fair. I, I have the same kind of feeling. I don't, some of that stuff you don't want to go back and relive. But it did get you where you're at today. So you obviously made some good choices along the way. And I love what you said about working hard. And I've tried to say the same things to my kids, even in sports, you might not be the best and most talented on the field, but 
you do have a choice and you ha- you can decide if you want to outwork everyone else. And that's going to set most kids apart. We're seeing that in today's, I think, generation. What about reading? You know, you mentioned that. And I know you're well-read. Do you think that's becoming a lost art for this, oh, these generations? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I really haven't. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We're doing a podcast here. Uh, that people listen to it's interesting that a lot of the younger kids including my my children they don't read books anymore they everything is a podcast and i think that's awesome but i still love to maybe get lost in a book just if i can find the quiet time uh it's funny in the winter when the daylights you know daylight savings time is in effect and and i can't be outside at seven eight o'clock at night uh, and it's dark uh, i enjoy reading whether it's periodicals or books or whatever but yeah i think it is somewhat a lost art but in today's world whether it's through your phone whether it's through the internet whether it's through podcasts or whatever it's all back to educating yourself what are you feeding yourself and uh you know i just think there's it's never uh it's never been easier to educate yourself on something i don't care whether you watch a youtube video a podcast you read a book or whatever So if you want to become educated on something, there's never been an easier time. And that's what it just gets people to put their phones down from looking at Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is and go educate yourself on something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. What do you think, Jeff, in your opinion, are the major obstacles facing the industry that we're talking about today, which is the horse racing industry? Well, it's, it's, it's animal welfare um, is, I think, one of our biggest challenges. In some ways, we're caring for these horses because of technology and everything else. We can do so much more for these horses than we've ever been able to do before. But the reality of it is horse racing has always had an issue with uh, illegal substances, doping, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think people will cheat just to go win a blue ribbon and when you put millions of dollars in purse funds up there. So that's my biggest concern um, is animal welfare issues and, uh, you know, cheating or I don't know how else you say it is. Everyone, you know, wants to be on a level playing field, but then there's always somebody trying to get an advantage. And unfortunately, they're not getting an advantage through working harder, just like we said, and training harder and doing those types of things. They want to try to do it through some illegal form of medication, unfortunately. So mm. I'm proud of our industry. We know it's an issue. Um, we, Whether it's a state level, a national level, we're all trying to get involved and, and know that if, if we don't make this our top priority, um, we won't have an industry. And mm-hmm. so that's, I think that's one of our biggest challenges right now. And, you know, the other side of that is we're competing for so many different with, with so many different interests that people have is making sure that we introduce this sport, whether it's racing or competing on a horse. You know, I enjoy team roping and and it's are the are the new generation. Are they coming up? Have they been introduced to it? Because honestly, I think the horse probably in some regards saved my life. No telling where I would have ended up if I wouldn't have found this passion that I found as a young kid at 13 years old. Um, I don't know where I would have ended up, but uh, Hmm. it's something that I hope my children continue 
and I always enjoy introducing people to the horse industry. Those are great comments. Just for the benefit, again, of the listeners and people, especially who are listening today who are involved in horse racing, and I know this is on most everyone's mind, are, since, you're, since you're in some of these high-up meetings, are there, are there maybe I should say, is there any progress being made on the issue of illegal medications and doping of horses? Because we all kind of have some suspicions on what's going on out there. Some of the folks that are winning at probably a larger percentage than they should. Um, and just seeing folks who can take a horse that normally is not maybe at the elite level and take it all of a sudden, turn it into an elite level performer. Um, obviously some strange suspicions going on and people have been questioning this for a long time. And it goes back to all these different other sports that we consider, whether it's major league baseball or the national football league, or even obviously when we think about Lance Armstrong and the tour de France, how do you, how do you maybe answer that question, Jeff? Well, we certainly need to embrace technology. We hope technology will continue to, uh, help us, um, you know, find those people that are choosing not to do it the correct way. You know, uh, for example, hair testing. If you would have said that we would hair test these horses for illegal substances, even three, four, five years ago, you know, you would have thought there's no way we can accomplish that. Uh, hair testing is becoming very prevalent in our industry right now. For example, Remington Park is getting ready to open the meet and every horse that shows up on those grounds before they can enter those horses into any race, those horses have to be hair tested. And we found that hair testing is another tool that we can use to try to, um, to, to stop this. So between blood and, and urine and now hair testing, um, you know, those substances are gonna show up somewhere now what we've got to figure out is, and, and when I talk about technology, how do we figure out with technology what drugs they're using? Because now we have the medium of hair, urine, and, and, and uh, blood to figure that out. And, and we, are making, um, we are making improvements, but we're trying to do something that has never been done before. And what I mean by that is, I don't know that horse racing has ever been cleaned before. I don't think it has. I mean, you hear about the stuff they were using in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. Every decade, it seems like that there was some drug that now, as you look back, uh, you hear that they were using. Um, but um, I, I just think it's it, it might be like 100% customer satisfaction. I don't know that it's ever achieved, but it's still a goal that you have to um, keep searching for and you have to try to achieve a level playing field where these horses are not being medicated and taking a horse like you described that probably is not running at its elite level because of its pedigree, if you will, it's because they have some performance enhancing substance in them. Mm -hmm. And that's really um, so dangerous for our association because you and I as owners and breeders in this business are we breeding to these horses that were successful because they had the genetics that made them successful or is it because they had some substance in them? Mm -hmm. And you and I both know there's a huge difference in that. So right. we're going to continue to fight this fight. 
we're not going to, we're not going to let up on it. Um, and, uh, we as owners in this industry, um, we're, we're just not going to let someone take something that we love so dearly and, uh, and, and ruin it because of, of cheating with medication. Well, that's encouraging that, that, that folks are, are really trying to stand up to this and put it into it as daunting as a task as it seems sometimes and just watching this go on and on and on. But hopefully we definitely get through it at some point and get back to what we call an equal playing field, like you said. Well, before we let you go, Jeff, I have a quick story that you reminded me of with your lawnmower story. Uh, I played baseball This will be up. good. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be great. Yeah. Well, it, it reminded me when you said your dad marched you up to a front door because that same thing happened to me. I played baseball growing up, and I was waiting at a bus stop, and everyone was like, "Let's you see who can throw a rock the furthest." And I was like, "Of course, I can throw it the furthest." So I get it out, and I rear back, and I throw it, and it hits a car window and shatters it. And my dad made me empty out my baseball piggy bank and I had to walk up there with a plastic bag and give him everything I'd ever worked for. So that one was not the best moment for me, but I think I remember you having to, if I recall, right, you having to continue to pay them and do some extra jobs for them around their house for a while. Wasn't that the case? Pull some weeds, do things around the house. So didn't do that again. You know, stories you look back and they're kind of funny now but you know those are the life lessons i remember there were some older kids in the neighborhood and they'd convinced me they would let me in their club if i'd go knock the windows out of the neighbor's garage door so of course i did unbeknownst to me the the, the neighbor was in his garage and so you know, that was another life lesson that i learned at the end of a belt but um you know i don't know it's uh, that's that's the part of growing up, but I'm just so thankful that I, I had the parents that I did, and I'm trying to raise my girls the same way. Yeah, love those stories. Jeff, final question. We're going to let you get to the racetrack. For our, for our listeners, how have you been able to harness your wealth? Theme of the podcast here. Wow. You know, I don't know that that, that you ever get to the point where you think you, you've harnessed your wealth. Um you know, I think that luckily, um, my wife and I are on the same page, uh, financially, um, both of us grew up, um, having to work hard, um, for what it is that we have. And I'm grateful that she and I, um, always seem to be in step regarding our finances. So I think that's, that's so important. Um, you know, as you look back, uh, you know, we all have what I call needs and wants, and needs and wants are vastly different. And we have sacrificed um, for many years and, and always spent less than we made. And I don't care where you're at in life, you just have to figure out, is this a need or is this a want? And I was, I guess, and still to this day, I'm more afraid about going broke and having nothing than trying to have a lot of materialistic things. I mean, my dad was always the guy that bought used cars. And I thought, oh, one of these days, if I, when I get a chance, I, I, well, I'm going to drive nicer vehicles. And I think in my lifetime, I bought one or two new vehicles. I just, 
it's just one of those things I can go buy a new vehicle, but there's just something in me and the way that I was raised and by an accountant, you know, and, and I look back and it's like, you know what, I don't need a $80,000 vehicle when I can buy one for 50,000 that will do the same exact thing. And so I don't know, I've always been a little bit of a trader. I love buying and selling things and just trying to make an extra dime or a nickel or a quarter or a hundred dollars or whatever it is. But I've gotten to the point where I have more satisfaction out of knowing that I have my money is invested and that, you know, the good Lord allows us to live long enough that whatever you call those golden years that that Vicky and I will have the opportunity to go do some things for other people, for ourselves and for our children, that if if we wouldn't have made those sacrifices and been willing to invest, that it, it isn't going to happen just out of magic. You know, I'm not a person that buys lottery tickets because I don't know. I just know that if I work hard and I continue to invest and spend less than I make, that that's how this deal is supposed to work. And so it's exciting to um, to continue to invest and to, over time, look at our portfolios. And that's why it's exciting to sit down with you all from time to time. And we go through these exercises because if if you plan your work, and then work your plan, it will work over time. We're going to see the ups and downs in the market, as you've told me. You're going to, you know, we're not day trading. We're trading for the long-term deal. And it's kind of one of those old sayings that money's not that big a deal unless you don't have it. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we have enough to be able to, you know, get through this life and not leave a burden on our children and maybe leave them a little something, but it's more about being able to go out and help other people and being able to stay involved in the horse business. As you know, these horses that we're buying are not cheap. And, and so, you know, we're just having to continue to do what allowed us to get to here. I don't think you ever let up on the gas. You just got to keep investing, keep saving and uh, you know, the rewards somewhere down the road. That's great. Uh, Just, one quick comment, a story I saw the other day that was reflects back on what you said there about giving to others. There was a university professor who had hundreds of students, and he had each one of his students fill a balloon up and, and write their name on the balloon. So think about this hundreds of balloons and and told them all to open the door and into the small hallway, and everybody put their balloon out there. As they all did that, all these balloons were, of course, mixed up so they didn't know exactly where their balloon was and then he asked him he said you have five minutes to find your balloon and no one found their own balloon because it was just a chaos and then he said all right start this over i want everybody to find just grab a balloon and find the person that owns that balloon and within five minutes everyone had their balloon so the moral of that story is you've you give unto others to find what you intended to find, find, find your own happiness. You have to give happiness to others first. So I thought that was pretty powerful. And I thought it was a good way to maybe share on or expand on what your conversation was about there. Oh, absolutely. I love that story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, as I look out across my life, all the people that just were willing to take a chance on, on me, 
you know, Dr. Charlie Graham and, and the group that own Heritage Place uh, to give me that opportunity. John Andrini. Uh, there's so many other people out there that, you know, guys like Johnny Trotter and just uh, the list just goes on and on that, that for whatever reason, they believe in you. And so, you know, I just I don't want to disappoint them. Uh, I'm glad they hold me accountable. And it just it just, you know, makes you just really step back and realize how blessed you are. So now the opportunity is how can I do what they did for me? How can I do that for others? And those that's the true values in life that you get and it allow you to count your blessings. I think it's not the vehicle or the boat or the house or whatever it is that the materialistic world that we get caught up in. It's uh, it's it's truly at the end of the day, it's about people helping people. And so for that, I'm grateful for the service that you and and Kate provide. Uh, we're, we're, we're fortunate. We feel uh, happy to be um, in a relationship with you all. There you go. We sure appreciate you guys. It's, it's an honor to know people like you. Um, grateful to have developed a relationship with you, both in this financial industry, as well as sharing our passion for horse racing and horses in general. So I wanted to say thank you, Jeff, for being here today, sharing your thoughts and I want to tell our listeners that join us next time where our guest is soon to be will be an estate planning attorney who's going to share a lot of insight and differentiate between wills and trusts and talk a lot about probate and how to avoid it. So I think you won't, you won't want to miss that episode. Thanks again. You can reach us by obviously our website, petersonws.com and reach out if you have any questions to follow up with. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes. Visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.